2: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Warner Brothers marketing team does for opening weekend box office numbers. <laughs> I'm Sir Patrick and joining me to smash the patriarchy are... James Hunt.
0: And Caroline Cedar.
2: We won't discuss the latest comic book movie in TV news because it's a new release episode. So instead, as per usual, what we'll do is we'll do some spoiler-free discussion and then a short break and then our spoiler-filled discussion of Cathy Yan's 2020 film Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn or Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey as it's just been awkwardly retitled. But before any of that, We'll do the section, which um, I'm slightly wary that the more that we have Caroline on as the guest, this feels a little bit like the mansplaining section rather than <laughs> the just the explaining <laughs> comics stuff to the person who doesn't have a comics background. But Caroline, was there anything in particular relating to Birds of Prey or indeed anything else that's come across your, your radar that you felt needed explaining that you, that you didn't understand from the world of comics? Yes,
0: for sure. And it, I never take this segment as such because I... <laughs> genuinely have these questions and you guys are a helpful resource um okay so can you just explain to me what the birds of prey are in the comics and how if at all this intersects with the canaries and then also potentially how if there i know that there's a character on in the arrowverse named laurel lance who i think is also a black canary just any background information that might be helpful in the world of this film and how it has changed from the world of the comics
2: so the birds of prey are originally uh i believe and i should know this off the top of my head that the original lineup of the birds of prey team is black canary huntress and oracle do you know who oracle is nope okay I wasn't sure if she feels like some some something or someone that may have turned up on TV shows or been referenced on TV shows Oracle uh, was Barbara Gordon um, after Barbara Gordon was paralysed by the Joker in The Killing Joke Barbara Gordon being the original Batgirl I should say she then in the pages of Suicide Squad actually was reinvented as Oracle so uh, while she was in a wheelchair what she basically did was she set herself up as this kind of remote operative superhero support so she became this anonymous figure with kind of access to all computer systems um so you know oracle you could you could contact oracle with questions or oracle would contact you to, to either support or to get your help on something she basically became this kind of master central operative for for dc's heroes it was it was really cool actually and sort of is part of the reason why barbara gordon has been developed into such a good character kind of in the in the modern era um
1: Although they did check it away for branding yes. reasons. Yes,
2: eventually she got better, so she became Batgirl again, uh, which was a shame because, as I say, I think there were a lot of people for whom Barbara Gordon was a more significant character and indeed a more representative character as Oracle than she than she was as Batgirl, yeah. but hey, comics.
1: Not so many wheelchair-bound superheroes around. Yeah.
2: Um, And, you know, and the whole point was, you know, as I say, I I think it was, (laughs) while there are questionable elements as to how the whole thing came about in the first place, I think very much she sort of developed into something that was a very positive and, uh, you know, kind of affirmative representation for people. So, yeah, kind of a shame to see that done away with, really, particularly given how wheelchair-bound characters in comics tend to be portrayed, which I don't think is unique to comics, is it? But there is definitely that trope of the, you know, (laughs) the uh, the disabled baddie, which... Mm -hmm. uh, you know could do with being subverted a bit more e- even when you have like good characters like professor x and um uh niles uh from the doom patrol they're always sort of the slightly shady one even if they are actually technically good guys anyway so she formed the birds of prey team which i don't think they be- they were referred to as the birds of prey in the comics for quite a long time so yeah so it was originally a mini series featuring those characters um, that I think was the, the the series was probably just going to be titled like Huntress and Black Canary or something like that. But they decided at a relatively late stage to call the book Birds of Prey. It then span into an ongoing series which had the same name, but throughout all of this time, for quite a long time, they didn't actually use the Birds of Prey name to refer to the team because only Black Canary was a bird-themed character at that point. So it never really made that much sense. I think they brought in other characters later who who did have slightly more bird themed names on the subject of black canary I, again i don't want to spend ages going into too much detail on this um but caroline have you have you seen or read Watchmen? and i mean original not tv show yes as in the movie so you know the way in Watchmen you have the mother daughter yes. um, lineage of hero that's black canary they basically got that from black canary so the original black canary was dinah drake and then her, and so she was a golden age character. She, she's been around since like the 1940s and was kind of one of DC's most prominent female characters throughout that time. Then her daughter is Dinah Laurel Lance. So Laurel is actually her middle name, but she's also called Dinah and she's the current Black Canary. So that's why you've seen different characters with that name with that name. I think sometimes they may have had versions where she's actually been called Laurel, but certainly for all the time that I've known the character, she's always gone by Dinah. Mm
0: -hmm. And are the Canaries, is there like another female superhero team called the Canaries, or this is just one lineage? I've never
2: heard of that as like a group. I would assume it's just been referred to it's just been used to refer to the fact that there have been two black canaries there's never been a white canary in the comics which i know is a thing on the arrowverse isn't it or yes. is it yes yeah yeah that's that's not a thing so i presume that's why they've used the canary's name on on the shows but it's but that doesn't come from the comics they're they're not a team
1: cool that was very helpful
2: james did you find that helpful
1: <laughs> i didn't know most of that so yeah <laughs> This is not my area of expertise, like C List uh C list DC heroes.
2: <laughs> uh, I would say that, that Black Canary is B list. I wouldn't say she's C-list. She's been around for a very long time. Um... <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> yeah, she's good. Obviously, as you know from the Arrow TV show, long standing connection with Green Arrow and some really, really good material sort of in the particularly in the late eighties with, with her and Green Arrow. Well worth a look. But let's move on to her movie debut. Then, with Birds of Prey, the movie, which has, at the time that we record this, has been out for a little less than a week, uh, had kind of less than stellar box office opening, which is kind of something that I'm sure that we'll we'll come to a little bit in discussing it. Um, before we go into some spoiler filled thoughts, and uh, you know, if you if you haven't already seen the film yet, obviously turn off after we've done our spoiler free opinion, and then then come back and listen to the whole thing when you have. And uh, not wanting to give too much away about the uh, the spoiler free opinions, but I, I think that is a thing you should go and do. I already I know what I think, and I know what James thinks. I have no idea what Caroline thinks. So Caroline, let's start with you. How did this work for you?
0: Yeah, so I think, like, intellectually, I can look at this movie and say, like, okay, here's some flaws. Here's, like, the critiques I have of it. Here's ways it could be better. But my overall impression is just joy and <laughs> happiness and excitement. at this ex- Like, this experience, I think, was greater than the sum of the movie's parts. Like, I just had such <laughs> a fun time with this movie. I think it's a great length. It's, I have maybe some concerns about the structure, but I think it's mostly really well paced and it's just so fun. And I think in its own way, this movie is as glass shattering, if not more so than Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, which were, you know, respectively the first female led superhero movies of DC and Marvel. I think the having a group of women as opposed to one woman, which effectively wonder woman and captain marvel are as much as they sort of throw lip service to like female Hmm. friendships matter like the majority of those movies are the respective heroes with men Mm -hmm. that are their you know friends and allies Mm -hmm. and having birds of prey just be like a whole team of women felt like quietly very very revolutionary to me so i just had a a super fun time with this movie and i would recommend that everybody go check it out
2: james you want to pour some cold water on that (laughs) (laughs)
1: no no absolutely not i want to do exactly what caroline just did and say like you can watch the film and go okay it's kind of a three-star script like Mm -hmm. it's it could have been a lot smarter could have been you know had more thematic resonance but actually when you're actually in the cinema watching like those actors and those action sequences and hearing those jokes is just an absolutely great time like I was not bored for a second of it. I would happily watch it again. The when the film it most reminded me of actually was Deadpool because mm. it was oh, just, yeah, it had absolutely. that confidence <laughs> um, in its lead character, like the the fourth wall breaking narration and you know the the just density of jokes. Like I almost mm. wish they'd lent they'd leaned lent. I, I almost wish they'd lent harder into that. Maybe it would have done a bit better if it had gone you know harder. I I don't know, but. Generally speaking, excellent time.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I, 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 my initial feeling coming out was actually in terms of the how it's kind of gone was actually kind of the opposite, which is that I'm not sure it needed some of the stuff that made it an R. Yeah, i and, and that actually, if it had gone softer, I don't think you would have lost much of what made the film good. And I think that's possibly, but I think. I would also be inclined to agree that if they had gone the other way and and leaned more heavily into the Deadpool hard R side of it, they might have got more of an audience that way. I think it falls a little bit uncomfortably because it doesn't it doesn't go all the way over the top with it, but it's too much to be a film for kind of young teenagers to see. And
1: yeah, I mean, it's weird actually. When this was coming out, um, when this was released, I was like, oh, I'll see if I can maybe take Emma along because you know. She might enjoy uh-huh. it. And then I was like, oh, it's yeah. rated 15. I can't take her. And it's, it feels to me like there could have been a chance to open it up for a younger audience without yeah. altering it too much. Personally, I think that would have lost some good moments for me. Mm. There was one quite late on that you could not have done in a film that was rated, rated less than 15 <laughs> that really made me laugh. But mm. I think they, they should have picked one or the other direction and, and gone harder with it. Rather than getting mm. it for where it did,
2: I think I would agree with that i, I, I do, yeah I, I think it's a I do think it's a shame that you can't get a younger audience seeing this because I think a younger audience seeing a slightly tamer version of this would be a great thing I mean mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with the second half of what you both said in terms of having had an absolute blast watching this film. I enjoyed this so much I had such a good time pretty much from start to finish um I'm not sure I agree with the part about this is kind of objectively maybe only about a three-star script elevated by some of the performances and the look of it and everything. Maybe that's... I, I do feel like I kind of need to see it again to see where it really sits. But my initial feeling out of this is that I could see myself, after a second viewing of this, I could see this threatening to be my favourite DCEU film. Mm. Um, I definitely think it's up there with Wonder Woman and Shazam. And I'm Wonder Woman kind of did get a bit lessened for me after the first viewing. Uh, Shazam went the opposite way. Shazam I liked more the second time and I pretty firmly now would say Shazam is my favourite. I think this, though, could match that because I think this was just... I think it's got such a strong sense of itself. I mean, other than the fact that, yeah, okay, if you talk about the the, the appropriateness and the rating, it, it does fall a bit awkwardly between two stools because it's films that kind of sit, I think, what would have been like an old-fashioned 15 don't really seem to exist generally anymore. You kind of only really have an 18 or... Well, what you, What would have used to have been an 18 kind of generally now gets classed as a 15 a lot of the time. I'm sorry, Caroline, I'm talking in UK <laughs> terms because I know the US terms are slightly different. <laughs> but yeah so i mean aside from that aside from it not quite knowing whether it wants to commit to being kind of that r-rated i, I think it has a really strong sense of itself of what it's about of its tone the the look is fantastic you know i, I think it's got more consistent and defined visual and production design than the most other films certainly in this sequence and i think in the superhero films that we look at generally i really enjoy that it's about you know a set of really good and well-defined and enjoyable and well-acted female superhero characters beating the shit out of horrible men <laughs> you know, that's a, that is a nice thing to see on screen and as you say it is very much it's it's what it's not is um here is are you know and you know not to deny that the other films have good lead characters but it's not here is our one really good really cool female lead character that we're dropping into this very male universe and here's the story of how she copes in that this is a story about all of these characters and all of these women and how they sort of you know how how they react against this kind of traditionally quite male world there is something really satisfying about seeing a character who has kind of what I, th- what I came out describing as Jim Davidson levels of like just innate hatred towards women um, getting their comeuppance. In a, I think what surprised me as well after the kind of the trailers and stuff where I wasn't sure how all of the characters were going to work, whether it was going to struggle for being an ensemble piece, whether it was going to kind of give them all their due. Um, I didn't think particularly Black Canary looked that interesting from the trailers at that point. I think they all, you know, obviously, it's so dominated by Harley Quinn. But even with that, I think they do all get their moments. And I found myself really liking all of them in different ways. I think it's really interesting that I wouldn't call this a team movie. I think you kind of go in thinking that it's going to be a team movie, and it's actually not. It's It's an ensemble, and without getting too much into the spoiler side of things is about the setting up of a team which i think happens in an enjoyably natural way um but it's not an awkward jamming together team movie it's a bunch of characters whose stories all cross over and intertwine with each other and i think that works really well
0: one of the things i liked best about it is just its world building in general i think we're so used to these movies mm. superhero movies being so high stakes and this mm. is the, some of the stakes in this movie are just like Harley dealing with a the breakup. There's just like wh- the this movie's just like oh, where do supervillains live? Oh yeah, she just like has mm. an apartment, <laughs> you know. Like the yeah. <laughs> the topics that this discusses on, like oh, what's it like to just have a night out on the town when you're a supervillain? Mm. I think it's very very funny and clever world building, and, mm. and and the sense of humor is very wry. Like there's a scene where the detective, Rosie Perez's detective character, they, like, the, the movie opens with with Harley blowing up uh, the factory where she was created as a sign of her breaking up with Joker. And there's a scene where they, like, find her necklace and they're like, oh, Harley broke up with the Joker. This will change everything. And it's just such a funny idea that the police are <laughs> have to follow the <laughs> dating lives of the city's yeah. supervillains in order to keep up with crime. Yeah. Like, that is... Low-key such a funny and underplayed joke. And I think the movie, like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is just Harley going grocery shopping, this sort of world building <laughs> of what is the day-to-day like day-to-day life like for Harley and for all of these women, and then how that intersects with them all coming together in a very sort of low-key casual way. I think is so clever and so different than anything we sort of seen before in these. It's like what Suicide Squad should have been. The Suicide <laughs> Squad decided to have a world-ending plot with Enchantress, but you're like, oh, it should have just kind of been all these weirdos hanging out. And that's yeah. totally the vibe that this movie goes for.
2: I I mean, I, of that world-building, I like, and I kind of didn't expect how kind of rooted in Gothamness, mm-hmm. this is because, you know, down the years uh, Gotham City and everything that's involved in it has always been one of DC's richest seams of character and plot stuff this idea that there is so much of this stuff that goes on in this city that was basically just set up to be the city that needs Batman, but you can actually you can lift Batman away and there's all this stuff going on under the surface and I've talked before, I think on the podcast about things like the Gotham Central comic, which is where Renny Montoya comes from in the first place Place. you know and there is this kind of this world going on around all of the crazy stuff at the top level and a lot of that stuff, more than I expected, makes its way into this film. And I think that there's an irony in the fact that there have been people on the internet criticising this film for, oh, these characters are nothing like the characters from the comic. You know, Huntress doesn't look anything like Huntress. Um, what have they done with with Cassandra Kane? Now, I think there is a there is an argument, there is a conversation to be had about Cassandra Kane, and it's a, even Gail Simone has brought that up as like her one niggle with the film, and I think it's a valid point. But in general, for someone to kind of look at the surface of this and say oh, they don't look anything like the characters from the comics. This is just, all they've done is just take the names of these characters. It's like, well, no, actually, they've taken a lot of stuff, a lot of character stuff, a lot of dynamics. Um, you know, I mean, Black Mask is like, okay, he's he's a bit camper, but he is absolutely Black Mask out of the comics. Zaz, the same, again, changed him in some ways. But really, all of these kind of names and all of this setup is totally recognizable. And I love that the movie just kind of plunges you straight in to this living, breathing Gotham that's got these hierarchies and it's got these conventions and tropes and this this intertwining criminal network world where everyone knows who everyone is and there's all these different allegiances and stuff like that. It plunges you into all of that, having, you know... Having had no opportunity to really set it up beforehand because, you know, this is a follow on from Suicide Squad, which, as you say, sure as shit wasn't interested in setting up any of that <laughs> stuff. But, you know, Batman has appeared in three, uh, the, you know, this universe has had three movies that have featured appearances from Batman and none of them have bothered to do any work to set up what this universe's Gotham City is actually like. And this film does it. And this film makes this Gotham City somewhere. I'm like, I want to see more stories set here. I absolutely want to see more of this stuff. And it does that in a in a in an under two hour running time yeah. as well. <laughs>
0: yeah. It the, when I looked up, I think it's like an hour fifty. And when I saw that, I was like, mm. yeah. I was just so <laughs> pleased and excited. <laughs> and it feels so full, yeah. right? It doesn't feel like mm. it doesn't feel like oh, we're we're you haven't watched a complete movie because this isn't a three-hour epic. Like, they really cram a lot Mm -hmm. in there. And I was just going to add, in terms of, in addition to the world building, I think that this is the best costume design in any superhero movie, and potentially just some of the best costume design in film in general. I think that (laughs) what they do with the look of this film and the look of the women and Harley in particular is so great and fun to watch. And it really embraces that, like glittery girly aesthetic alongside the sort of bone crunching action and it all just sort of coexists in a way that doesn't feel patronizing and I think it's easy for female superhero stuff to feel very patronizing a la Mm. that you know moment in endgame where it's like women will save the day they weren't in this movie but don't worry eventually they're (laughs) gonna be important and this movie just does it without sort of having to pat itself on the back for it and I think
1: I was exactly going to make that point which is that this the the one of the things I like most about this film actually is that it um it's about you know, the female superheroes/villains but like the point of the film isn't hey we made a story about some women.
0: Mhm. Yeah, it feels incidental in a way.
1: It's just a story about the characters and it doesn't doesn't take time to say to you like hey remember this is the this is a girl one.
0: Yeah, and then it also doesn't ignore it either, which I think is the other trap you could Hmm. fall into of being like, well, we're just going to write them like men and not think about the female experience. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't do either of those two traps. It's like they are women. That's part of who they are. But that's not the point of the film.
1: Yeah. And their their experiences are completely relevant to the plot and the story. But it doesn't dwell on them and highlight them as if you're supposed to applaud it for doing that.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, Joanna Robinson, who's a great Vanity Fair writer, she had a tweet earlier in January that was like I don't always know how to describe the male gaze but I know it when I see it and it was a photo of Harley from Suicide Squad and a photo from Harley and Birds of Prey and like when you actually look at them like she is sort of wearing not a ton of clothes in either photo like she you know she spends Mm. a lot of this movie sort of in just like a little broad top and shorts but the just the difference in how she's styled and how she's filmed is it's like night and day like how much it, it feels like She, I don't know, just is not objectified in the way she is in Suicide Squad, which I actually like I like Suicide Squad and I really like Harley in Suicide Squad. But when you look at what they do in this film, it's just like a totally all of the the potential that was there is just fully realized. And it's just great that she I don't know, the clothes are just the clothes in this film are just great. And I love that we can just come out of a superhero (laughs) film talking about how great all the glittery clothes were like that's a great reality to live in
2: <laughs> mm. anything else that's kind of non-spoilery then before we move on or do we want to kind of get into more specifics of the reasons why so much of this was enjoyable
1: yeah i think i'm ready to dig into the plot
2: <laughs> i so you I, I mean james you you were you were slightly more muted when when you kind of said initially what you thought about this so uh i'm pleased that actually your, your experience was positive.
1: <laughs> I don't think I said before, but I think it's probably, I don't think this is necessarily the best produced DC Universe movie, but I think it might be my favorite. Mm. And like, I did really enjoy Wonder Woman and Shazam, but I feel like if I was going to watch anything, I'd come back to this one because this is much more my sort
2: of thing. Mm. yeah and also as i say i think i think surprisingly i think i think the main thing i would say is i think it's kind of the most dc-ish i think it's got the most dc stuff in it up to this point and that's not what i would have expected you know we've had a justice league movie and yet somehow (laughs) this feels far more like a dc comic on the screen so so yay um, well, let's listen to one of the trailers that apparently haven't done a very good job of selling this movie to people and getting them to go and see it.
0: Even though they're great trailers.
2: Yeah, well, that, you know, we talked about that second trailer. That's what I'll play in here, probably. And I, I, I absolutely think this film was the film that this trailer promised. Yeah. So I don't know why that hasn't worked for more people. But let's let's come out the other side and talk a little bit more about why.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can I help you?
1: Why, yes, yes, you can. I'm here to report a terrible crime. And what terrible crime is that?
0: This one... Ah, shit. I told this all wrong. Quick history lesson.
1: This all started when the Joker and I broke up. It was completely
0: mutual. And soon enough, I was back on my feet, ready to embrace the fierce goddess within. Shh. It's oh so quiet. Now that I cut ties with Mr. J, I'm about to learn that a lot of people You're want me dead. All alone. And at the top of that list is this guy.
1: I'm so peaceful.
0: Um, but it turns out... <laughs> that wasn't the only Damon in Gotham looking for emancipation. You fall in love. <laughs> He's after all of us. The kid just robbed him. Sam you betrayed him. him. You killed his BFF. <laughs> What? You are so cool. You never And you're dumb enough to be building better, a case against him. Never, so unless we all want to die very unpleasant die. death, we're gonna have to work together. Sure. Psychologically speaking, vengeance rarely brings the catharsis we hope for.
1: Yeah. Are we ready? You blow up, fuse. Something cool. Devil cuts loose. Trankles. So what do you Turn it up! I can the devil cuts loose. Bow, 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 bow. blow your fuse. and you
0: fall. Is that a hyena in a bathtub? I named him Bruce after that hunky Wayne guy.
2: Okay, so that was the trailer for the film. Um, we can kind of get into talking about some more specifics now. Um, but kind of just before we do, actually, let's because we did just touch on on that that marketing side of it. So obviously, there's been kind of this this talk and these reports of oh, it's had the lowest box office opening for a weekend for a DC film. You know, disregarding the fact that it's R-rated and had a much lower budget and seems to be marketed badly. Why is it that people haven't really engaged with this? And what elements, I think particularly what elements of this film should be being pushed more to try and sell to people why it's really enjoyable
0: well it's tricky to me because i think like you were saying like to me the marketing is great and i've heard people say they didn't like it or whatever but to me the marketing made me so excited to see this movie and like you said i do think it's representative of the movie itself i wonder so i think there's a couple things here they're going for the Like it used to be movies just didn't, big movies like this didn't open in the winter at all. But you had Deadpool had a huge success in February and Black Panther had huge success in February. So they're, you know, going for that slot. I think, I mean, maybe this is a little thing, but both of those movies literally opened a week later than this one. They were like around the 12th or the 14th. And this was around the 7th. I mean, maybe it's crazy to be like one week would make that much of a difference. But you're sort of, I don't know, are people in the middle of winter just like, Excited to go out and see this movie. So that's one question I have. Two, the Oscars were earlier this year. So again, I can't imagine that's making the biggest difference for the overall box office. But maybe the conversation just felt like it wasn't fully focused on this. Um, three, I think I think that there isn't... I could actually see this being a movie that has a really great like tail end extended box office and winds up making a lot of money. Because I think the word of mouth is really good. And I also think that this isn't a movie that it feels like you need to go see immediately to be in the conversation about it. And I think things like Joker, things like Deadpool, obviously Black Panther, like it felt like I need to see this immediately because it will be buzzy. But I don't think this movie has that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, in fact, that's one thing I liked about it was that it was lower stakes. But I think maybe that means that people aren't rushing out to see it. Like, even as Mm. we're going into the spoiler chat, I'm like, I don't really feel like there's all these major spoilers and things I want to discuss. Like, it's just sort of like, a low-key hangout <laughs> movie and that's really fun and great but maybe that means people aren't feeling the need mm. to immediately go out and see it and that will that will happen later
2: yeah i don't think anything happens in this movie that you would not expect to happen by the end of it i think is it's kind of fair to say joe podcast joe asked us you know kind of do i need to worry about spoilers for this film was it Joe or was it... Well, it was somebody in the WhatsApp anyway. <laughs> uh, and I basically said, well, no, not really. I don't think there's anything that anyone could tell you about this film that would spoil the experience mm-hmm. of it. Is it a shock that they defeat the villain at the end and kill him in an amusingly gruesome way? No, of course not. You know you know, he's going to get his comeuppance from the moment he first comes on the screen. Is it maybe mildly a surprise that the film doesn't end with it being Harley Quinn in the birds of prey actually the way that maybe at the start of the film you'd think this film is about the birds of prey forming with harley quinn as a member i think as the film goes on it becomes clear that it's telling two separate stories and one of them is the story about the emancipation of harley quinn and one of them is the story of the birds of prey and it makes perfect natural sense that they form a group and harley and cassandra go off like that that you know i don't think that ending is a real surprise Mm -hmm. once you followed the film through so yeah i don't think there's too much concern about spoilers and yeah maybe that does mean that people wouldn't kind of rush out for it i think one possible thing that maybe hasn't been marketed enough is kind of how much of a I I don't I saw people saying that it wasn't clear from the trailers kind of what the plot of the film is or what mm-hmm. it's really about and I think part of that is that really what it's really about is just a bit of a runaround. Yeah. Um. I think it could have sold itself more as a caper and I've seen reference to you know kind of Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Eight in reference to it and I think just slightly you know because it is a runaround after a MacGuffin and it is about all these people coming after this MacGuffin from different angles for different reasons reasons and it becomes this kind of farcical caper and i think you could have sold it on that a little bit more because i think bringing in that kind of it, it's about kind of crime in gotham side um i think that would spark people's attention a little bit more and i don't mean you know the kind of person who goes oh well this film isn't based enough on the comics you know if you said to someone actually this film feels really like it's set in a comic gotham city and has loads of characters names who you recognize that's still not gonna assuage the kind of dickhead who complains on the internet about Huntress's costume not being porny enough.
1: (laughs) I feel like nothing's (laughs) going to persuade that audience. Exactly.
2: So there's no point trying to go after those guys but I think people in general kind of do have an expectation of Gotham-y crime stories based on things like Gotham the TV show and the Christopher Nolan Batman films and I think you could have just leaned into that a little bit more to to peak the interest. Well see
1: if I was going to like pitch this story as anything it would probably just be like a day in the life of harley quinn because that's that's what it was Hmm. right like we got flashbacks yeah, But it was essentially 24 hours of, of Harley Quinn's life. Yeah. And yeah. this is kind of what I mean by how I think the script could have been a bit tighter. Like, if they'd lent into that, or if they'd lent into the the idea of it being a sort of caper or a heist or whatever, like, it would have felt like an easier sell. As it is, it sort of meanders around in lots of different small circles until it ends up in, mm. you know, the sort of place you expected to end up at the start of the film. Mm. It It's not very surprising as a story. No.
0: Yeah, I think what's surprising is the, the look and feel of it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I do think the trailers mm. sold well. I, I mean, we talked about this before, but I do think the rating here was a mistake. I would have pushed for it to be a PG thirteen movie. I think that would mm. open it up to more people. Obviously, I think. I mean, I don't know personally. I've never re- really gotten the appeal of the like Deadpool. Ooh, we're R rated because we say naughty things. Like, clearly that works. Like those movies make a lot of money. But <laughs> I'm like, I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not titillated by the thought of an adult man saying something sexual.
1: It's more the violence that I enjoy. Yeah. In Deadpool, certainly, it was the cartoonish violence. And like I was saying before, my my favorite moments in this film were the cartoonish violence, like um, Harley jumping on that guy's leg or when they blew Black Mask up yeah. with a grenade. Like Those were big mm-hmm. laughs for me. And I'd have loved to have seen more of that in the film.
0: See, I think well, the two moments you just mentioned, I think, are good. Honestly, I think you could get away with those moments in a PG-13. I think you can get away with a lot of this violence in a PG (laughs) thirteen.
2: I think you'd have to have cut away slightly sooner on the face cutting. Yeah, I think you could have got away with that exploding bit. I think you definitely could have got away with the leg breaks. Yeah, you definitely see worse than that in. um, I mean, flipping, you see worse than that in Indiana Jones. Yeah, you
0: know. (laughs) Well, and I actually thought the face cutting scene—that was the one moment that really stood out to me as feeling tonally. Like it wasn't fitting with the rest of the movie, and I get that you want to establish Black Mask as a as a real threat, but it felt like it was too dark and somber for the otherwise fun and flippant tone of this film. Mm-hmm. Like that's a scene I would have mm. I would have not wanted to include. I think for me, the thing that would be lost, and this is really just a commentary on the mpa rating system being ridiculous but i think that the swearing in this movie is actually pretty good <laughs> and it's always nice when a movie can do that and it would be a shame to have to you know put cut all that out for a, a pg-13 but i i wonder if that might have been worth it to bring in i mean i i think audience. the
2: swearing is the stuff you could have stood to lose most easily i don't feel because i don't even feel like okay yeah it, it kind of does it give it this slightly more relaxed feel but It's not like you're watching In The Loop where, you know, there is comedy out of how the swearing is written, you know. Um, I don't think you lose anything by any of those F words not being there because I don't think they really change that much by being there other than just, we can do this, so we are. And I think you probably... I think you probably have to dial down slightly on some of the black mask un- unpleasantness. That's the really sort of unsettling scene with the with the woman on the table. You know, it's you're not actually showing anything kind of unsuitable there, but the implication there and the feel of that scene, I think, probably is different if you're if you're doing a PG thirteen. I don't think
0: so though, because the movie Taken is a PG thirteen, and I found that to be uh. truly one of the most disturbing and graphic movies mm. I've ever seen I think that you when it comes to violence <laughs> and like putting women in traumatic situations they will let you do as much as you want in PG-13 there is an
2: incredible <laughs> double standard about violence in comparison with yeah. sex in in film ratings and that's an entire conversation that you know we could have a get into let's kind of then talk a little bit more about some of the specifics about this film I kind of thought rather than sort of going through it just kind of plot chronologically especially since the film doesn't go through chronologically I thought it would be good to actually kind of chat maybe on a kind of character by character kind Of basis, maybe sort of crossing them over at different points as they do in the film. But I think, yeah, as I say, I think that that's kind of appropriate for the fact that the film actually does kind of follow these slightly disparate but then interconnected narratives with them. The one that you obviously can't avoid is the character whose name has been flipped to the start of the title in the in the retitling of the film. I think there was a risk maybe going into this that the film would be kind of too dominated by and overshadowed by Harley. Uh, and uh, to, to the exclusion of everything else. I think it's undeniable that she does dominate the film, but actually I think it does do quite a good job of of balancing other things around her, which means that you can just enjoy how just relentlessly fun and and how much she just completely inhabits this character in her. I know we keep making the comparison to Deadpool, but this is at the level of Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool in terms of this person just is this character. You cannot imagine anybody else playing this character. Mm-hmm. They have defined this version of this character, how they sound, how they look, how they act. Why they are so popular is partly as a result of what this actor has done with them. Um, but I think even compared with what she's done before uh, with the character in Suicide Squad, this is just like another level in terms of how much Margot Robbie goes here.
0: Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out... So. So there's a really great, I I think it was a BuzzFeed, maybe Vulture, I think BuzzFeed article about Margot Robbie's just her entire career in Hollywood so far and how she really started. She was like launched in Wolf of Wall Street as this total like blonde sex pod. And that was her image for a while. And she's really moved into the producing sphere and obviously something like suicide squad continued that you know blonde sexy will put her butt in the trailer in the trailer where we had to edit the shorts to be longer than they are in the film because it was (laughs) deemed inappropriate even though that film is a pg-13 film (laughs) i think right suicide squad's pg-13 isn't it yeah she she came up with she loved the harley character and then she pitched the idea of this film herself and was really influential in getting Kathy Ann hired as the director, who had only Kathy Ann's only done one film before, and this was something that Margot Robbie just really enjoyed and like believed in her. They got Christina Hodson to write the script, who wrote the uh, script for Bumblebee, among the Transformers movie, among other Hmm, things. So I think that there's a real there's a real case to be made for Margot Robbie as like the auteur behind this entire creative Mm. project. And I think you really feel that in the like changes that have been made to the Harley character. And then like you're saying, like how much she in the best way sort of dominates the movie while also sort of sharing her screen time. So I think the fact that she had so much control is like a, a really great thing for the film and a really cool narrative within Hollywood where that often isn't Mm. the case so i think beyond just what her performance of what you've seen on screen it's like her influence on this entire movie is incredibly impressive and i think important to how well it ends up working i would solidly agree
1: i think margot robbie's been great in everything i've ever seen her in but as you were saying the performance here is so so strong and so closely identified it's gonna be really hard for there to be another Harley Quinn. Like this is Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool stuff mm-hmm. by far. Like, it's as it's as good as it's ever been in the DC universe, I think. Like I'm not sure I can think of another another portrayal that maybe Christopher Reeve Superman, probably, but we've had a lot of Superman
2: since. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Superman's a funny one because Christopher Reeve, you had this incredible defining performance, but it hasn't actually been that difficult to find a good Superman since then. It's been difficult to find a good movie, but... As we've said many times, pretty much every live-action Superman has been good. All but one at Joker has been good, despite some of the absolutely, you know, defining performances that you've had with that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say like Su- Superman is a is a lot like Joker in that regard. In that every interpretation is sort of different, and they're all mm. good in their own ways.
2: Mm. Whereas if you did a different take on Harley, if you if you if you went back to something that was a bit more like the animated series version, for example, mm-hmm. I, I do like incidentally that this film. This film draws in all the different versions of Harley, I think, and makes them all one character, which I think is nice. But there's no denying that animated series Harley, early comic book Harley, Arkham Harley, later comic book Harley and movie Harley are all different in their ways. And I, I think after this, it's really hard to do a version of Harley that isn't Margot Robbie mm-hmm. movie Harley. How do you think sort of then? Because she, you know, in I think the the side of the character that is just the kind of the bouncing ball of chaos and whimsy, kind of was there in Suicide Squad already. What do they actually give her here that makes her kind of more engaging and lets her carry the film more here?
0: I think it's the lower stakes. I think the lower stakes are very beneficial to her character because in Suicide Squad, you sort of had to fit all of the characters into this arc of like, we're bad guys, and then we become good guys by the Mm. end. And this just sort of lets her be manic sort of anti-hero the whole time and again like there's just a scene where she goes grocery shopping which again is my favorite <laughs> scene and that's i think i think putting her in those different environments allows different elements of the character to come out especially her humor like i think margot Robbie is so funny mm-hmm. in this film i think the script i have like structural problems with the script but i think it's a very funny script like there's a mm. we cut into her her and cassandra and she's just like and that's why you never file income tax next lesson (laughs) like these great little quips that she's so good at um so yeah i think that those the lower stakes and the not having her be defined first and foremost by her sexuality or her sexiness or whatever are both hugely beneficial Mm -hmm.
2: absolutely i think something that's key that they do with her as well is is that she's not She's not a hero in this. I mean, you you could go as far as anti-hero, but I I like that it's sort of you know, at the end of the day, Harley Quinn as a character is technically supposed to be a villain. Mm -hmm. But because of the fact that she is by far DC Comics' most popular female character, and that is something that goes back to before Suicide Squad. Like the reason why she's a lead in Suicide Squad is because she was already popular. She didn't become popular just off the back of Suicide Squad, although it undoubtedly helped. You know, Harley is a is a massively popular figure who as As a result, they've had to make the lead character of... Books and films, and that means that she, you know, she kind of has to go through that process. and It's happened with other characters. I think Deathstroke's another really good example where Deathstroke was introduced as a villain, but he sold comics, so they gave him his own his own series. But as soon as he he has his own series, he has to be a morally complex, misunderstood mercenary rather than a villain. And it's kind of the same with Harley. It's like she ends up on superhero teams, so she kind of has to be a hero. I like that here she is the hero of the story in the sense that. She She's the protagonist and, you know, you you want the story to go her way. You want her to not get killed. Um, and obviously she's looking out for, for Cassandra. It's like she has this specific thing of, I want to make sure this kid doesn't get killed. Although even then she kind of has a moment of almost turning back on that. But other than that, she has no interest in, like, becoming a crime fighter or... You know, becoming a hero. I like the throwaway line about how the Suicide Squad saved the world. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a thing that's sort of in her backstory. <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, I literally saved the world one day, but but now I'm just this kind of you know this loser who everybody wants to wants to kill. But I, yeah, I like that actually. They they just about kind of keep her on the line. I say, I mean, she doesn't really do anything villainous in this film, but they don't go so far as to actually give her a plot that means she has to kind of full on be a hero. Other than, yeah, obviously she's fighting the baddie at the end, but they're all doing that. So
0: I think it's very smart to they position her as this scrappy underdog. So, you know, announcing mm. that she she broke up with Joker means that all of these people that had grievances against her are coming to get her. And so it's like the plot sort of just stems from that. It's not like she was trying to pull some crazy heist or something. It's like the plot is coming at mm. her. And I think are yeah. these you know conflicts are coming at her.
2: She's actually trying to avoid the plot yeah. of the film for its duration, <laughs> yeah. and so that
0: just gives her this like scrappy quality of things are things are coming at her. And I think you see this reflected in her fighting style too. And it is why, for as much as I really like overpowered or powerful characters, like superman supergirl but i think it's fun when you have someone who like black widow or hawkeye or whatever is just the sort of normal person in this chaotic situation and i think it's really fun Harley gets any situations and you're like okay there actually is stakes of how is she going to get out of this she does not have batman's insane tech she's just like a person standing there and there's a million guys coming at her and that like fun scrappiness i think is a great way to position her character in this film and the action great. Should talk about the
1: action in this movie. <laughs> um, I really it. love her, the, like the style of her, because she is she's got this like cartoonish element to her. Yeah. Whereas like people are sort of running out with guns, and she's like doing cartwheels and backflips and stuff. Like yeah. it's so it's so perfect. <laughs> like the only thing she was missing was a comically oversized hammer, because she did get a big hammer, but it wasn't big <laughs> enough for me.
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is definitely i mean i, I like the fact that they that they kind of they show her watching um it's it's sylvester yeah, and tweety yeah. <laughs> cartoons isn't it and it's very much uh you know she is a cartoon character in that tradition i like in terms of the look I, I like how sort of i mean obviously it is incredibly designed and styled in the sense of being made for the film but it's a it's a very slipshod kind of ramshackle thrown together kind of look um and even just down to the fact that actually she changes clothes several times over the course of the film, which means that, you know, it, again, it's like, it's not a uniform, which, like, the, you know, again, the, the the costume from Suicide Squad, while, again, it is kind of like it's ripped clothes and it's kind of looks like kind of tattered and stuff it is it's so specific and so designed and i know that's part of what makes it something that that people like as a cosplay thing so much it's got a very distinctive look and a very distinctive but it's like you couldn't just like randomly throw together different elements of it it's sort of it all it is basically a superhero uniform like anyone else's whereas here it's just like she's wearing different clothes on different days, and sort of you know. I like the fact that they all bother to get changed for the final fight as well. Actually, <laughs> sort of, um, the fact that that's actually a plot point. This movie is <laughs> just like
0: we love clothes, and it's cool if you love clothes too. And I really mm. like that as an ethos because I do mm. like watching like cool, beautiful people in beautiful clothes. Like that is something I go to the movies for, and I think things can feel embarrassed by that but it's like we don't need to feel any more embarrassed by oh it's fun to watch her in cool clothes than oh it's fun to watch her in cool fight scenes like i think that's very mm. cool that those those two things can coexist here yeah oh also the fact that like her half of her motivation is that her beloved sandwich dies and <laughs> that's like the equivalent that's of so good <laughs>
1: that that whole sequence is amazing the yeah, male characters.
0: Like- wife being killed or something (laughs) that's like the example of the really like sly wry humor that this film i think it's not like in deadpool that that joke would happen and they would be like we have to now explain it for the audience some way i think and here they just sort of let it exist as it is and that makes it so much funnier to me
2: how much of a tank girl vibe do we get <laughs> a lot of
1: a tank girl in this film <laughs> I sort of I think you said the same thing actually where I came out thinking like yeah. I'll be really good to see um, Margot Robbie doing a tank girl movie and then thinking oh well actually they sort of did like right down yeah. to having a sort of <laughs> musical sequence in the middle.
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we saw the glimpse of it in the trailer and I think it gave us that feeling. But yeah, the fact that it that that sequence in the middle didn't seem to exist for any other reason other than to make you think of Tank Girl. Like I genuinely feel like there's inspiration there. Like they they everyone involved in this film must have seen Tank Girl <laughs> and just gone for that same vibe in terms of the sort of just the purely enjoyable. Detached chaos of the character. The sort of, I mean, I don't know. Do we ever actually get a look to camera from Harley in this? I have a feeling that there might have been one. I think one, there actually. were a couple, yeah.
0: But they were not, it was not like, it was not the Deadpool style talking to the camera, but little winky.
2: It, it was a Looney Tunes. It was a. It was you know. It's like when you know the, the occasional moment when Wiley Coyote will just look at the camera in desperation as something's about to fall on it. It's just those little, or even it's um, it's Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. That that incredible moment of look to camera when they say the line about the, the bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich, and when they're explaining commodities to him, and it totally breaks the fourth wall. But in you know he doesn't talk to the camera and it like, has no logical reason to be there in the film, but it is an absolutely natural moment to just have that little glance. And yeah, I think we get a couple of those here, and it just does kind of add to that sense, yeah, of her being this kind of this cartoon character. And I mean, she's she's literally a cartoon character in the <laughs> opening sequence of the film. Um, I think that was a really nice way of doing the kind of the Joker flashback stuff without having to. Actually, get Jared Leto back. (laughs) How enjoyable is it that this film just dunks on Jared Leto so much? I mean they're careful to have their kind of their drawn version of the Joker not you know he he looks more like a trad Joker they they don't draw him with the tattoos and the teeth and the shirtless and everything which feels like a conscious choice to say we are not specifically ragging on this actor mm-hmm. you know when when we have a giant dick drawn <laughs> over his face <laughs> but the implication is still clear and there's no doubt that this does absolutely you know th- this isn't a different timeline because the other little nod um the little did did we catch the the poster of boomerang and the hey i know that guy oh um, is
0: that who it was oh I, yeah I, when I she's in the police station, station. It's who who it was. yeah same
2: it was it was boomerang yeah that's uh, <laughs> which i think i think even that feels deliberate because isn't he one of the only ones that's gonna be in the new suicide squad as well he's like he's what he's one of the only characters that they still give a shit about basically <laughs>
0: So I didn't get too many Deadpool vibes from this, although I've heard a lot of people say that. To me, this really reminded me of like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or other Shane Black films in that it's like a little mm-hmm. bit noir but in a very chaotic and self-referential and goofy way. Like I think in the way I, when I watch a Shane Black movie and even, you know, Iron Man 3, it's like I don't really come away remembering the plot. And I certainly don't come away remembering the plot of Birds of Prey. Um, <laughs> but you kind of remember the vibe of it and the tone and the characters of it, and that's what I think this does. Yeah, I think super successful. Mm. That's a really
1: good comparison, actually. Um, it's not one that crossed my mind, but now that you've said it, I can totally see it. I think maybe the thing that made it feel quite Deadpoolly for me was the the sort of jumping around in time aspect, yeah. and like the fact that she was narrating this movie but doing it out of sequence because yeah. you know she's kind of scatterbrained like that. That's a really Deadpool esque thing to do, and like, in mm. fairness. Had Harley Quinn done it first, we'd have been watching the Deadpool movie going they've done it in a kind of Harley yeah. Quinn way. Because like <laughs> yeah. those two characters are just like they're similar enough in that I think you couldn't, you know, make one after the other without it coming across as, as similar in some way. Yeah. Hmm. There's a reason they're both popular with with the cosplayers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um maybe this will be like a transition into the other characters, but just structurally a couple other things I like. So they're all going after – their MacGuffin here is a diamond, but it's a diamond that has codes embedded on it, which I thought was a very (laughs) clever way of giving it higher stakes. And at the end, a clever way of making it so that two different people can benefit from that diamond. (laughs) Um, So that I thought was clever. I also really love that when it all comes down to it, like the reason that the Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn all team up, it's like because each of these women – feels an innate urge to protect Cassandra Kane. Like that's actually their biggest unifying mm. factor other than they're all sort of being hunted by the same person. So that's throwing them together, but they each have like a very specific reason that they want to protect her. And I think that, that was a really smart way to clarify all of the main characters and then give them something to unify around. And I think something that's just like so lovely that it's all of them. I don't know. They're all women. They all feel this innate desire to help a young girl and that it brings them all together like that, I think thematically is is really nice and really smart
2: mm-hmm. mm. um well i mean I, I to move us on to the other characters then i mean i I mentioned earlier about kind of Harley not really being the the hero of the story um a character in this who is a more traditional superhero, and indeed who the film i think if you if you're not expecting it, the fact that she actually has superpowers is a surprise, um but that the film again deliberately spends a lot of time having her kind of push against being in a hero role is black canary as i kind of as i said in the kind of the non-spoilery bit i was sort of i think probably she was the character who i think we got the least sense of from the trailers um but coming out of the film i mean obviously harley is very much the sort of the figure kind of looming over everything but i think the character who around more of what the film was about was about was, was Dinah, was Black Canary, in terms of her sort of having to exist in and then eventually rebel against the the kind of the world that she's been put into, this kind of this male dominated or, you know, specifically black mask dominated world that she kind of ends up in and finds herself in. I think the sort of um the the kind of the the emancipation theme I think kind of counts as much towards her as it does to to Harley.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she's she's like the type of character who in a classic noir would be the like tortured love interest, right? Like I feel like the person that's like performing at the club mm-hmm. seeing these torch yeah. songs is usually the like, ooh, this is the woman I have to sing. And save. the one who
2: you're kind of not sure if you can trust. Exactly, sort of. yes. Yeah, and yeah. here
0: it's sort of like she fits that archetype, but she ends up just sort of being a friend and ally to Harley. And that's a mm. cool sort of use of that type. That again, that the movie is not like, Nudge, nudge. See what we're doing here. Look at how progressive we are. It just sort of exists. It's just playing around with those tropes and putting it in a new way. And yeah, I think Journey Smollett Bell is great. She gives a sense of like decency to this character Mm. who's clearly caught up in a situation she doesn't want to be in, but realizes she can use it to her advantage but is trying to maintain her own moral lines and like there's a lot of complexities going on with her i think
2: i mean from the point of view of you know knowing the dc law um obviously i you know i really like that they actually do establish that idea that that her mother was was a vigilante and was Mm -hmm. a was a friend to the cops kind of thing i kind of wish we'd got a little bit more of that um but i do like the way that that that's the kind of moment where you know having sort of seen her as being you know having to actually work with Roman and in cases kind of turn a blind eye to things. Um, The fact that she kind of rejects that idea of being heroic, but it just gives you enough of a sense. You know that there is going to be that decency there that she is kind of going to ultimately do the right thing. Um, But it's just the fact that in order to, in order to get by, she's had to bury that. She's had to turn a blind eye to the unpleasant things that she sees going on where she works um in order to get on but actually yeah she sort of kind of has got that that goodness underneath so um yeah and i, I just think you know I, I think the character was kind of really well portrayed i think she probably i think she gets the most to do in terms of beating people up as well yeah <laughs> um, so uh that stuff all all kind of comes off well
0: and they do i've seen a couple of people say this in reviews and stuff but the movie kathy ann does a really good job of making all of the characters fight styles very distinct <laughs> like i think mm. harley is sort of over the top physicality is very different than Black Canaries. Like more, it feels like martial arts based or, a bit
2: you more know, precision. Like,
0: yeah, more pre- exactly, more precision based. Like it's a nice diversity of fighting styles, and that goes for all of the characters.
2: Mm. Just actually on that, because you, because and you mentioned talking about the action before. I think it is the thing. I think I do think this film does well to have. Memorable action sequences and kind of, I you know, ironic considering what we were talking about before in terms of the you know the violence and going for the R the R rating. I think the best action sequence in the film, I mean possibly with the exception, I think the final sequence is really well done. But my favorite action sequence in the film is the police station. Mm -hmm. You know, a shootout with non lethal exploding (laughs) confetti (laughs) bags. Um, You know, there's there's no kind of actual blood and death in that scene, Um, but that's so much fun. That is that is is a riot of a scene. And I feel like, you know, in a in a film that was kind of that was more hyped and had more people kind of in on it and going into bat for it at an early point, you know, that would be held up there in the same way as some of the really good set pieces from like a guardians or or that Mm -hmm. kind of thing you know it's a real sort of it's a proper standout memorable sequence that's visually interesting and funny the action is funny which is not an easy thing to do and as i say you know sort of I'm, i'm thinking of things like the um the yondu sequence in guardians 2 you know it's it's memorable in a similar way to that for me
1: yeah see that the the fact that the action is funny is one of the things that makes me compare it to deadpool because usually Mm. superhero action is kind of you know cool at best whereas in in the sort of best sequences in deadpool you're laughing at what's going on and you're surprised by what's going on and it's playing with those tropes and sort of coming at it from an interesting angle that you haven't seen before and that that sequence but I think most of the action sequences in this film do really well to to do that, but particularly the one in the police station like the funhouse sequence is great the um the chase with uh Renee and harley is also really great like there were, there was no action sequences in this film where I came out thinking like. Oh, well, that one was sort of phoned in.
0: Yeah, no, mm. they're all really good. And it does feel like the plot is in a way just like to get you to the next action sequence, which I'm more than fine with when they're this well done. <laughs> I think it it's they're just so clever and creative in a way that I think a lot of modern action movies can just sort of use quick cut shaky cam as a like a cheat code for not having to be creative.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't feel like, you know, uh, away TT's Thor, where...
0: Yeah. You exactly. you
1: feel like those action sequences were finished before he signed up to the film practically.
0: Right. Right. Or Black <laughs> Panther, where you're like, okay, there's one or two that are okay, but by the end I'm not really invested. Like yeah. this feels like the action is almost more plotted out <laughs> and has more of a story than the the story itself. Yeah. yeah. Um mm. some of them reminded me of like the best long tape fights in the Marvel Netflix like Daredevil mm. Punisher mm. shows. Um, There's the fight in the rain or, like, the sprinklers are going off in the jail cell, which, again, is, like, so silly. Clearly, they just wanted to make this fight scene look different, so they made it wet. But, like, it's cool. Who cares? Like, it looks really cool. Um, And the moment when she gets a bat again is so satisfying. Like, I had kind of forgotten that that was her signature weapon in Suicide Squad. And, like, that reunion plays so well. And the way they have her use the bat is, like, so satisfying to watch.
2: Did you ever think that, that a film could actually make you think fondly of bits of Suicide <laughs> Squad? But it's like, there are a couple of moments, like the bit with the, with the poster of Boomerang and, and that little throwaway, you know, I say we, we save the world kind of thing. It's like, those are moments that rely on the existence of Suicide Squad and that and give you a little glow because you know what they're referring to. And it's like, to do that about a film that
1: was... I am on record as already quite liking Suicide Squad. <laughs>
0: I kind (laughs) of like Suicide
1: right. James and I just had a good
0: time reminiscing about our favourite film while watching Birds of Prey. (laughs) Do you want to talk about Huntress? Can we please
1: talk about Huntress? Please.
0: Yes.
2: Let's talk about Huntress. Huntress, who I think is on screen. I mean, I didn't count, but felt like was only on screen for a total of like about 10 or 15 minutes. But bloody hell, those were some (laughs) 10 or 15 minutes, right?
1: I think Huntress is to this film what Harley Quinn was to Suicide Squad, which is the person who <laughs> come out thinking, I want to see that film. Yeah. I really want to see the Huntress film. Because like, at first you think, okay, she's just this badass murderer. But then you find out she's got this like layer of awkwardness where she's she's yeah. really trying to be cool and like i identify yeah. that so much i'm just like it's hilarious because like that's that's what you'd be like if you're a superhero you'd be like practicing your quips in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> like, that's... that's such a good guy i
0: know it's another bit of, of nice satire of like you know we're used to oh it's so cool that you're this tortured mm. hero that only trains to kill but it's like yeah that would mean that you have no social skills because <laughs> you spent your entire life doing nothing but training to kill yeah. it's a funny like following through <laughs> with that thought process
1: she has that moment at the end where um, she she gives Cassandra the car and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because that's what she did. Like, you, you know, yeah. you, you connect with her as a character in that moment.
0: Totally. Well, that's what's so nice about all of their relationships with Cassandra being so distinct. It's like, I think the way like Dinah feels a like a sense of protectiveness over her, but it's different than... Huntress being like I live through what you are living through so I am relating to you on this like Mm. personal Mm -hmm. level versus Harley more like "Eh, I maybe see myself you know a little bit of myself in your sort of like thieving ways like they Mm. all just connect to her so distinctly
2: I think Diana's relationship is almost a sort of I think because of the way she encounters her in the you know living in the same building mm-hmm. and the thing with the argument of the family it's almost like she could be an almost like a surrogate mother sort of figure yeah, like sort big of sister, she's kind of protector yeah. yeah looking out for her i think harley is the the I'm I'm your fun best friend sort yeah. of relationship, you know, we we hang out as friends, and yeah, kind of with Huntress, it's like you're you're me, you're you know, I I you're going through something that's not dissimilar to what I went through, like this kind of traumatic experience. Um, uh, yeah, I do, I I do really like that it's sort of obviously because it's such a it's such a kind of cliché tropey way to have created this kind of dark Avenger character, and yet yeah, the fact that she comes out of it. You know, she is kind of dark and serious, but it's not a kind of... It's not a serious dark and seriousness. It's like, it's a dark and seriousness that's in such contrast to everybody else around her. And coming from, like, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is so good at playing that that kind of detachedness, I think here she's doing something that's in the vein of what you're used to seeing her do, but kind of from such a completely different angle because it's not it's not affected detachment it's just as you say it's that sort of it's just that the character doesn't have the social skills so she's just really awkward in every situation <laughs> and and so like kind of that's why she's so quiet but it's like she's trying to come off as cool rather than just it's not a kind of ramona flowers effortless cool sort of thing you know she's sort of and yeah i just i mean the the thing that i one of the things that i said on twitter after coming out of the film was that i just really got such sigourney weaver vibes off mm. her both in terms of the sort of the the personality and the sort of the the exasperation, which you know, because it, it, there's kind of that that exasperated side of Sigourney Weaver in in Aliens, particularly, you know, things like they did a did IQs drop while I was away. <laughs> just re- I I got real visions of that at the same time as you had the kind of the action stuff and kind of particularly in that final action sequence where she's just kind of going all out. It was just. Yeah, I w- I was just in awe and was like I just really wanted to see more of that character.
1: I love the brutality and efficiency of her like fights. Like mm-hmm. she'll just turn up and put like one bullet in three people. Like just no yeah. no thinking about it, like just absolute military precision.
2: <laughs> I really like as well the the fact that this film subverts a type of joke that these films really like to do, which is the that's a stupid name trope we get it so much like we had it with ant-man and it you know every and like you know the, the fact that shazam you know the character doesn't kind of have a, a serious name there and it's like huntress is not a good name it's like it's a silly name that doesn't really make much sense and the fact that this film has the running joke of she's trying to call herself huntress and you have the running thing <laughs> of everyone knows her as the crossbow killer that's a great gag in its own right but the fact that the payoff at the very end is when she goes like, well, you know, I call myself Huntress. And they and they all, as one, are like, Huntress, that's a really cool name. Yeah, mm-hmm. you should definitely call yourself Huntress. It's a great name. Even though I think it's a bit of a daft name, I really like that the film actually subverted that, oh, yeah, she's got a stupid name, so we're calling her something else. It's like, no, actually, you think it's a stupid name, but we've decided and the characters have decided that it's a cool name. So that's what her name is.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish... So one of my big overall... I don't know, critiques, questions about the movie. Like, I almost wish that the team had formed earlier. Like, it's really not until, honestly, kind of hmm. late in the third act that they're all united together. But I do really like that, I think the the thing, if you unite them earlier than sort of like the original Avengers movie does, you sort of have to have them all butting heads and then finally agreeing to work together. And mm-hmm. I think by having them wait so long to team up, we get to skip that point, and they all just are sort of immediately, like, they like and respect each other. Like that's kind of the mm. vibe of the whole movie. And I found that to be like refreshing for the superhero movie genre in general. And then a refreshing depiction of like a group of women coming together. And they're all sort of like, yeah, we each have our own little spheres that we operate in. But like the little scene where, and I think that you might've referenced this earlier, James, but like the scene where Hunter's just like stabs that guy on the slide. And then Harley's <laughs> just like, you're so cool. <laughs> it's a yeah. like a really fun... I don't know, just like how much they all like each other is really, really fun to watch.
2: I mean, I yeah, the, I, I say I think as I said before in the non-spoiler bit, it's interesting that actually this isn't a film about the Birds of Prey as a team being the Birds of Prey. It's about the formation of a team that doesn't exist for most of the film, but exists at the end of it. Um, I did quite like that it's not a kind of a conventional team film in in that sense, and um, Because even when they're fighting together at the end, they're not a team. They're Mm -hmm. a group of people who happen to have to be working together in a situation. I like that it's then, as I say, it kind of it splits off the characters who absolutely are the kind of people who on the back of that would go, Yes, we need to have a superhero team and give it a name, and the people who absolutely (laughs) would not join that superhero team. It's a it, it works really, really well and it really kind of it fits the three characters who decide to form the team at the end, that they would form a team and have that name. Um, I feel like... I feel like it's probably intentional given how good the design in the rest of the film is that their costumes look a bit naff in yeah. that final scene when they've got new costumes and particularly Huntress's kind of looks a bit silly. I feel like they've done that deliberately as a gag. At least I kind of hope they have. Um, I
0: hope so too. Yeah, I agree. Those were not the best looks, but maybe that is intentional. I mean, I
1: did, when I saw that, I did think, oh, it's hilarious that Huntress is dressed like that because that fits her character so much. So I think it was deliberate. Mm,
2: yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It kind of, it fits her character to go, right, we're going to be superheroes now. So here is my superhero yeah. costume and it's and not very good. put some massive goggles <laughs> on it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so one fact I came across in my research for this was that, um, so they originally, the Renee Montoya detective character was going to be like a contemporary, like the same age as all the others. But Kathy mm. Ann just really wanted to cast Rosie Perez. So she like really had to fight for that, which I think is great and a really cool choice mm-hmm. to just have an older woman again Mm. she's like the least powered of them all I think like even if we assume I guess Harley and Huntress don't have superpowers but it almost sort of feels like they do Mm. but definitely Detective Montoya is just like you know the scrappiest of the fighters and I think it's Mm. just like a really cool choice to have her in there as a different aged character and obviously a different like you know she's working with the police she has like a different alignment.
1: If she had been younger like the sense of the the way she was undercut by her superior officer. Mm-hmm. Like, the injustice mm-hmm. of that wouldn't ring quite as deep if she had been Agreed. more of a rookie. Um, I think that choice alone makes it worth having cast a slightly older actress.
0: Yeah. Plus Rosie Perez just being incredible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't lose anything by making that character older. You only gain by doing it.
0: Yeah, so agreed.
1: So it, it makes total sense.
2: I I think, yeah, I think it would have been an element of the film that I would have, from a, a kind of comics background point of view, I might have been not sure about going in. And the reason for that is, uh, Renee is a great character who has appeared in a lot of really good comics down the years and is, uh, you know... Uh, absolutely is one of I would say one of DC's best non-hero characters. Except she became the Question, so she actually is and has been a, a master character as well. But um, you know, even in the days when she was just a cop in Inverted commas, like she was absolutely one of the the most interesting and and complex characters. Like sort of partly because she's actually not that likable and quite kind of self destructive, but kind of say Hannah has all these kind of layers and nuance. I think my my feeling going in about her being played by Rosie Perez in this and thus being older was, well, if you're if you're jumping to that point in her career, if you're showing us an older Renee, what we're not getting is we're not getting you showing us the story of her career up to this point, which you know would feel to me like, well, we've missed out on all of that other stuff, and we've just jumped to her more towards the end of her career. As it plays out in the film not got a problem with it at all for all of the reasons that you say which is that it gives a different perspective it absolutely for what they've chosen to do with the character in terms of you know you you can't have a character being jaded about constantly being overlooked if they're 25 you know they have to have had a long period of time to be constantly overlooked to see that guy ascend to captain and be in charge of her and all of that um also yeah you know she is great and and also i think you know there is a, probably a tendency to be to make the wrong judgment about whether an actress of that age is going to get to kind of do the actiony stuff as well, and you know she absolutely does. So it's not it's not like the film has to remove Renee from the action stuff mm-hmm. just because she happens to be being played by a fifty five year old woman. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is a really positive thing to have done.
0: Yeah, aka the age of like half of our. Half of our Iron Man. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> she's the same age as, as Robert Downey Jr. or whatever. But you know, no one's questioning whether he can do the yeah. action. Mm.
0: If anything, I could have used more Montoya. I think, um, like I'm happy, mm. I definitely love everything we got. But I think, in some ways, she's the character who's like the least. Even though Huntress has less screen time, Huntress somehow feels more fully formed. I think. Um, but mm. if anything, that makes me just more excited to you know potentially see her expanded elsewhere. Mm. Also, kudos to. I mean, you know, our qualms about DC, but like, and some of the questionable quality of their earlier films, but like, they just gave us a female superhero movie, they just gave us one of their characters was being gay, they didn't do this Marvel stuff of like, oh, we took an unnamed side character who mentioned the fact that gay people exist, please applaud our, you know, (laughs) incredible diversity that we've given you. Like, this is just like, yeah, here's a detective, here's her ex-girlfriend, we, you know, it's just mm. a part of life. And like again, kudos to DC for just doing things that I think Marvel doesn't do, but mm. then expects that- us to applaud them for. Did they actually doing.
2: reference that in the film? I wasn't sure if they'd actually stated that they.
0: They must have because I don't know how I would have. Yeah. Known yeah. that other. I mean, that's fair because I was definitely getting that
1: vibe, and I was thinking like, is is that her girlfriend? Are they going to reveal? No, I'm mm. pretty
0: sure they're like her. I'm pretty sure they were like her, it's her ex girlfriend. Is the is the assistant okay. DA played by Ellie Wong. Unless I entirely made that up, I'm pretty sure that Harley defines her as that.
2: It could well have been. I mean, I would have interpreted it that way without it being said, because I know from the comics that Renee is gay, um, and that it's, again, kind of has been frequently a kind of core, crucial plot point around the character. It's like... She was Batgirl's girlfriend for a while, right? Her Batwoman's girlfriends. Yeah. Batwoman. Yes, she was. Yeah. I think kind of always pre-comics, as in not in current comics, but, um, you know, as a as a a background character point that they they've always been exes in the comics let's put it that way um but yeah, that so that so you know, to me it I I would have just taken that as an intrinsic part of the character. I think they could have. I think I think they do deserve credit for not just ignoring that because obviously they have the benefit. Unlike with a lot of Marvel characters, they have the benefit of that is canonically the case for the character. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they had to bolt it onto a character and choose to do it. Equally, you could have that character in the film and not in any way reference uh, romantic situations. So the fact that they did we hope, we need to check and see it again free- and make sure. I, feel sure.
0: I feel confident they did, but...
2: But the fact that they did actually reference that is good and they didn't just, you know, ignore it. Because it, as I say, it, it would have been easy to ignore even though anyone who knows the character would go, well, yeah, of course, it's it's Renee Montoya. Mm-hmm. Still, I still don't think, un- unless she ever showed up on Gotham, we've never had Maggie Sawyer on screen and that is a...
0: No, she's in um, Supergirl. She dated Supergirl's sister. Yeah.
2: Oh, she's in Supergirl?
0: Yeah. <gasps> Yeah,
2: maybe I need to watch Supergirl. Maggie Sawyer is one of the best characters in DC. <laughs> How did you not know that?
0: For a while, she was all she was like a major character in season two, and then the actress wanted to leave, so they had to sort of awkwardly write her out after declaring her to be Supergirl's oh, okay. sisters, like great love. So that was like a it's like an awkward, I um, don't oh, you know, right. through line. But yeah, she was she was around for a while. She was great.
2: Yeah, was she good in the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she was good. Yeah.
0: So there. Now I can. Now I can explain something <laughs> yeah, to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about Cassandra? I feel like she's our last non-villain
2: Be- before we get onto the villains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Cassandra is interesting because I mean I I don't know how much you guys know about the the comics Nothing. background of the character. Um, I mean this film has nothing to do with the comics background of the character. It is safe to say that she is a hundred percent a completely different character. Um She
1: is Chinese in the comics, right?
2: Am I imagining that? Or Asian at least? She is Asian. I'm not sure what her because it's cause her her father is white, because her father is an assassin called David Kane, but I'm not sure what specific race her mother is, but so let's just say Asian to be safe. But yes, she. So uh, Cassandra's thing is that she. Cassandra is one of the Batgirls. She was the Batgirl mm. in the kind of early 2000s, or kind of I for, think for most of the 2000s. Um, her deal is that she, as I say, she's she's the daughter of an assassin. She was sort of basically brought up and trained to be an assassin but also completely cut off from human contact in order to kind of be conditioned as an assassin um so she has like no social skills and is almost entirely mute so when she becomes Batgirl, girl she sort of becomes part of the bat family and sort of grad you know there was she's been a character who has kind of had a lot of development in terms of you know settling in with the other characters and sort of understanding how to live with them and that sort of thing uh she's now known as orphan because like you know any character who's been batgirl or robin but isn't anymore has to have a different name instead um so yeah so that's that's kind of where she is but yeah as i say you know as you'll know none of that in any way relates to what they've done with the film kind of aside from the ethnicity i don't think it's a huge problem i i think I don't have any issue with the character that they've created to put in this film to play the role that she plays in this film. Gail Simone has made the point of why not just give her a different name if she's a completely different character. I feel like because it would conspicuously be pretty much the only major character who doesn't have a comics character name. But I can also see the argument that, well, now you've used the name Cassandra Cain, you can't ever bring the actual version of that character in. Mm -hmm. So um it's a bit maybe giving themselves that hole if they were ever kind of going to plan to do that and expand the the bat side of things but yeah i I don't have a huge issue with it i do think it's a slightly strange decision to have Mm -hmm. used that character name yeah but the character's a lot of fun (laughs) there's no denying that
1: it's something that comics movies do a lot though isn't it which is to to name Mm. a character after a comics character even though there's no real connection to them like it tends to be more incidental Mm. characters but it's not it's not something that's
2: unique to this. Wasn't that the case with Dark Phoenix? Well, I couldn't remember the villain's name and I assumed they just made up some nonsense, but they had actually dug it up from somewhere, from a completely unrelated yeah, yeah. character.
0: Yeah, as someone who has, you know, had times in my life where I've been frustrated by something I love being adapted in a way I didn't love, I'm very sympathetic to that. But as an audience member who didn't know any of that, like I just, she, she was another great character. I think it's nice that she has such a different vibe than all the other characters obviously being like a young girl with no training in any of this world but just natural pickpocket skills um (laughs) Mm. i thought she was a nice foil for everybody like i said i think she brings out a lot in the other characters and there's just like a really funny running joke about her needing to poop because she swallowed a diamond and (laughs) that sort of humor (laughs) does is not always my style of humor but i actually found it very funny and well done here and yeah, the scene where she goes shop goes grocery shopping with Harley and then the scene where they're hanging out at her house. Like I said, two of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. I actually could have used way more of the two of them bonding. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I almost feel like that had been more. Maybe maybe you shorten the first act and...
1: Like they have that whole thing where Harley tries to give her up and then they fall out a bit and then later, yeah. you know, when she gets kidnapped, Harley's chasing her and suddenly she's like, hey, Harley, you're, you're here to save me. And it's like, it needs li- just a little bit more for her to be... Super jazzed about what was going on.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it was partly. I think at that point in the film, it was like sort of never a hundred percent sure. Like, has she actually just straight up sold her out here, or or is there a plan? And it, I, I think the film kind of shies away from actually concluding that one way or the other. It's like, like, would she have actually let them take her if everything else hadn't kicked off? You don't actually get an answer to that.
0: Yeah, I think I, the sense I got was that she was just hoping, she, again, this is an insane sentence to say, but I think she was hoping she would just poop out the diamond before <laughs> yeah. they got there and it would all be resolved. But its yeah. it certainly is like, you know, she brought her, Harley brought her there. So there is a moral grayness mm. to the whole thing. I like that Cassandra's, like, ultimately her biggest skill is just like helpfully handing people things at the right time. Like there's a point where she just <laughs> yeah. hands Harley a uh, lighter. For her to light a guy's beard on fire, and then obviously at the end when she grabs the grenade and knows what to do with that, but it's like a fun use of what an, a normal person's skills could be helpful in an insane situation like this.
2: Hmm. Well, also it's it's kind of it ties in the pickpocketing, doesn't it? It's a mm-hmm. sort of the the her pickpocketing skill becomes a bit of a Chekhov's gun for what happens <laughs> at the very end. But it's uh, yeah, I, I did I liked this I liked all the kind of the little sequences of her walking down the street kind of casually grabbing yeah. things and sort of subtly um i liked that because I, again i liked how it played out with her kind of taking the diamond from from zao's and stuff as well so uh it was just it was nicely sort of nicely choreographed you know
0: yeah well that's a fun plot device too that she just happened to and again i feel like this is a very shane black thing like she just happened to accidentally pick the wrong pocket and that mm. kicks off this whole plot it, it it adds to the vibe of this whole movie just sort of being like chaos and no one knows what they're doing because uh. the whole thing kicks off, you know. It's not like someone was intentionally stealing this thing.
2: Mm. The, the, the diamond thing is funny, isn't it? Because it's like, it's a weird... If you said to someone, okay, so the concept is there is this diamond, but this diamond contains a code yeah. that will lead to <laughs> bigger and bigger riches. It's like, well, that's kind of weird. It actually kind of makes sense though because the object has to be something that looks valuable enough to be stolen by a cassandra type character but doesn't look incredibly valuable so the idea that it's kind of that it kind of leads to untold riches if it was just a diamond that was worth insane amounts of money it would be enormous and yeah. ridiculous looking yeah. equally if it was something else that had code on it like if it was like a usb stick or something then it wouldn't have got pickpocketed in the first place because it would just be a usb stick so it does have to be it's got to be something that will get stolen and that some people think is an ordinary diamond but that other people know is far more valuable than it actually looks on the surface so it's a bit weird and awkward but it kind of makes sense and that's that's very comicsy yeah
0: (laughs) well should we talk about the the part of the movie that honestly I have the most questions about, and I'm curious to hear from you guys, like how you think the villains of this film work.
2: I think from when we talked about the trailers, I think are we all kind of already on record as like liking you and McGregor?
0: Yes, I'm on record as loving Ewan
2: McGregor. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew I knew you were you were a big fan. <laughs> I couldn't remember how James was. I, I like him a lot. I thought he was great in this.
1: Yeah, I really I enjoyed the performance. Um, I can't, I don't know, I can't say I knew anything about the character going in, so I didn't really have any opinion. But, you know, as he played it, I really enjoyed it.
2: To kind of summarize what I what I know of in terms of characterizing Black Mask in the comics, um he is very much known for being of the kind of the various Gotham crime bosses and characters. He's the really really nasty and sadistic one. Like, you know, he he he's a torturer. That's kind of that's his whole deal. He's really really unpleasant and and a sadist basically. Um I like that what they did with him here was to retain that element, but dress it up in uh, a combination of the kind of the flamboyance and the neuroses. I sort of I, I like that what they give him here is that sort of a lot of what he does stems from kind of this neurosis that actually derives from actually being from a well-off background <laughs> yeah. but not being paid enough attention to so everything he does has to be big and exaggerated so he has this club where he's the center of attention he's ridiculously over the top i think as i say i would i would use phrases like kind of flamboyant or camp to describe him but i think it While I think there's an interesting thing that it does in terms of leaving you a little bit unclear about kind of his sexuality and kind of where his misogyny comes from, it's I I don't think it falls into the trap of he's the flamboyant camp gay supervillain. I I don't think that at all. But I I think I think it's more about extravagance. It's more about as I say, kind of he absolutely has to be. He has to have all attention on him, and everything has to be at his whim and his command. I think that comes off really well i think as i say mcgregor himself just uh, just throws himself into the performance and and has an awful lot of fun with it
0: yeah i definitely agree with all of that and i kind of felt like we still spent too much time on him like i think i think you Mm. could have reduced his screen time and gotten all of the strong points that you're pointing out and maybe that would have allowed for more time with like harley and cassandra hanging out or the team sort of forming a little bit earlier. This was where I felt like the movie was most unbalanced. It, like, with both Black Mask and with Victor Zsasz, who, I don't know, that type that archetype of just, like, the crazy henchman. I find to be so boring. And in small doses, it's fine, and Chris Messina really commits to it. But it's, like, I, I think I could have used less of them and more of the main characters. I think that was ultimately one of my big, like, structural problems with it. But I don't really have... You know, complaints about the performance or the character. I just think it could have been a little bit better balanced. I do.
1: I feel like um, a lot of the time we're quite quick to criticize movies that don't develop the villain sufficiently.
0: Yeah.
1: I think true. what this actually needed was an extra 20 minutes. And it's extremely rare. I will say that about a yeah. film, but an extra <laughs> 10, 20 minutes. And yeah. they could have got everything additional that they needed in there without putting too much of the focus on him. Cause I think you're right in, in this version of the film, there's a little bit too much Ewan McGregor, given that he's not one of the protagonists.
0: And I think Mm -hmm. it ultimately, like it's a great, it's a great idea for a character. It's a great foil for, you know, these putting this, obviously putting like a misogynistic man against a team of women. That makes sense. But Like, he's not really that deep of a character. And then the way he's disposed, Mm. like, it's fun, but it's kind of random and a little bit anticlimactic to me. And if that's what you're going to do with it...
2: It's very quick, isn't it? It's sort of...
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is, like, kind of funny. And again, like, almost like a little bit of a subversion. But if that's ultimately the end point, then I don't know if we needed to spend so much time with him. Because it's not a super deep character. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it would Mm. work if it was a little bit... I don't know. Not more surface, but... If we got the beats of it and then, like, maybe we don't need both the scene where he's cutting off people's faces and the scene where he's, like, harassing the woman at the club. Mm. You know, like, maybe one of those would have been enough to to convey that.
2: I guess it's the, I think in both cases, it's probably the film kind of, because bearing in mind that obviously he is the threat to Harley, it's sort Mm -hmm. of you know at the end of the day the the kind of the key threat of this film is harley's going to get brutally murdered by this guy who hates her because now he can and i suppose one of them coming early in the film and one of them coming later is just to kind of remind you how horrible it can mm-hmm. be for harley if the worst comes to pass so i yeah. think
0: what did you guys think of zaz is that his name
1: yeah yeah i wasn't that impressed with zaz i think he could have I think the comic Zaz is a little bit more complex mm. and perhaps more um, more usable within the context of a movie than this version of Zaz was. I was getting strong sort of Bane vibes from this. Uh, Batman Forever Bane or Batman and Robin Bane? Batman and Robin,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, as in kind of turning him into a henchman. And I think, I mean, obviously I, I haven't watched in Gotham, but I know he's been in Gotham. And it's been a similar thing there where they've kept the idea, the whole cutting a scar on himself for for every person that he kills um but similarly they've kind of made him a, a henchman he's sort of you know he always he's, he's like you know he he's a hitman or a henchman who works for people um in the comics i mean whether this makes him more or less complex he is kind of far more his own sort of you know, serial killer type figure. Um, I, I like that he's in this because of the fact that it means that Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogel get a special thanks credit on the film. Mm-hmm. Um they're they're people who kind of did um late 80s early 90s batman run that i'm a really big alan grant is as in co-creator of, of judge dread alan grant um and norm brave i think is the best ever batman artist um they created zaz in the shadow of the bat run in the early 90s um and he he was immediately like a really striking kind of new villain creation but what he was then was a bit more of a a kind of a hunter-killer sort of character, like, you know, the kind of character who would jump out of the dark at you with a knife kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And as I say, much more a sort of a psychotic serial killer rather than a guy who would work for a crime boss whether that you know whether you could actually make a film where he's just like the one villain i don't think so i think he's more uh he's a threat that gets dealt with while you're dealing with a bigger problem if you see what i mean mm-hmm. um rather than a kind of you know a serious villain who's the kind of plotter for the entirety of a film um so I, I like that he was in it i like that sort of he he had enough of what i recognize of the character um i quite liked chris messina's performance mm-hmm. as well But I think maybe, I mean, what you were saying about the film spending too much time on Black Mask, I wonder if the film also spent a bit too much time on the two of them. Yeah. Kind of at the expense of other characters. As I say, I think it's quite interesting that it's sort of... The film kind of was a little bit coy about exactly what the relationship is there rather than, again, just kind of straight up going into kind of full cliche about it or Mm -hmm. pulling back from it. I think that there's kind of intentional complexity there like you know you know if i was to characterize for example what i would guess that roman sexuality is supposed to be in this film it would probably be that he was bisexual Mm -hmm. but and i think i think it's interesting that the film does leave that question to you but maybe at the same time as saying it spends too much time on them maybe for that to be a point it probably needed to go into that a bit more and make that more of a a point i don't know
1: yeah it does i do sort of wonder if that's on the cutting room floor yeah that stuff because it feels a bit like something that was in the film when they shot it, and they were like, "Well, maybe we need to take it out for whatever reason." Because it does, it does have that trope, yeah. doesn't it? Of like, oh, you know, he's a camp man and therefore evil or a threat. And if you, even in a mm. film where the protagonists are women, if you if you have that without representation elsewhere, it yeah. becomes a problem. I was
0: going to say this is a yeah. film that I would. I don't usually like director's cuts, but I would love to see the director's cut of this film if one exists, because I think this feels like a yeah, movie that definitely. maybe. <laughs> you know, got pulled back and trimmed a little bit in places. And I would love to see the full-fledged version of it.
2: Especially if there's more Huntress scenes.
0: Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) the thing, too. It's like we love Huntress so much and she has so little screen time. And I think you almost could have done the same thing with Zaz and Roman giving Mm. them less to do which again like i can't believe i'm saying this because me saying that there should be less ewan mcgregor in a film seems like to go against (laughs) every one of my principal (laughs) instincts so no one is more surprised than me that this was my takeaway i will commend this movie i think a lot of times what they do with female-led superhero movies i guess not wonder woman and captain marvel as much but some of the earlier ones they would give them a female villain and a male ally. Mm. Um, and like something like the Halle Berry Mm -hmm. Catwoman movie, not that that's a movie everyone's thinking about all the time, but I think that that, you know, it's like, okay, woman fighting woman and then their, their allies, the man, and this does the opposite where it's like woman Mm. fighting a man and their allies are women, I guess sort of Captain Marvel does that too, to an extent, but I just thought that that was an interesting choice. Mm. Like I could see a version of this where the Renee Montoya character is a, is a male cop. And it's like, oh yeah, Harley teams up with a guy on the police force and now they're (laughs)
2: friends. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Yeah.
0: I
1: just wanted to mention quickly, one of my favorite um, gags in the film was, did you see, did you guys notice when you know when he's got his sculpture mm-hmm. mm. and um there's a bit where he's standing next to the sculpture and he's in exactly the same pose as the sculpture <laughs> <and laughs> it's a really funny like very subtle joke
0: that's like a disney movie it's like a disney animated movie cartoon yeah. uh, uh, joke or something it is, uh,
1: it, it is literally that level of comedy the like, Timothy Dalton so hot fuzz.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> my other random thought is that I love that when they do the Marilyn Monroe, Gentleman Prefer Blondes, random musical sequence, that they put yeah. her in. It's like the same dress, but it's pants. That yeah. was like as exciting to me, as I said before, <laughs> as any of the action scenes. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. It looked so good. And I love her. Harley has great hair in this. The choice to cut it shorter and put it in the perky ponytails as, or pigtails as opposed to the low-hanging ones was incredible. <laughs>
1: That scene where she cuts her hair and then immediately starts yeah. crying. <laughs> <laughs> so funny.
0: Very funny. Very Little Women too. Actually, Like I feel like you could put this movie and Little Women in conversation and like come out with a lot of interesting things <laughs> to talk about.
1: It just it felt like it was such a realistic character beat. A
0: hundred percent. And the same, we should mention the scene that I think a lot of people have talked about where Harley passes Black Canary a hair tie in the middle of a fight to tie up her hair. Yeah. Which yeah. was a great moment of just being like, oh yeah, women made this... Movie, that's the thing that they would think of, and the same—the scene where the woman, where Roman humiliates the woman by making her take off the dress—we don't actually see her in her underwear, mm. which I think is a choice. A lot of—I mean, I don't want it to be like, oh, all male filmmakers would do this, no, but, but I think yeah, a lot of it's... conventional movies would cut to the shot that feels both like empathetic and leering, and this movie mm. just doesn't cut to that shot at all. And I think it's so much more effective for that.
1: Yeah, I sort of think most male filmmakers would have made that shot yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like. You know, you can try and give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think there's no doubt that they would have.
2: <laughs> and it's yeah, and it's like that. That would that would be so contrary to the kind of spirit of sort of togetherness and support that is kind of the the main point, I think, of the film. Really, that is sort of about these various characters all actually in different ways showing support for one another. Mm-hmm. Which the yeah, that that kind of that hair tie moment really sort of um does drive home in that just something else i wanted to remark on about the kind of the fun house sequence aside from like the design of it and the action and stuff superb soundtrack choice there like the film doesn't go kind of full guardians in terms of littering uh with kind of various kind of apt song choices but barracuda as the like that that <laughs> yeah. sort of started to kick in and i was like oh i see what they've gone for here just as the fight was about to start and i was like that was a spot on Joyce really enjoyed that.
0: I also love the joke of of Black Canary commenting on like when did Harley put on roller skates? Is the joke and <laughs> oh, it's yeah, funny. Great. And then that final action scene with her on the roller skates in a car chase was one of the most creative and original and cool things I've ever seen. I was mm. so into that. I was just like, how is a movie not, or at least a mainstream, you know, superhero movie not thought to do this before? Because it's so clever. And yeah. fun to watch. Other final thoughts?
2: I'm just trying to think. What else haven't we covered? We might have actually yeah, kept this I'm under two hours. Which feels like we're underserving it. It's like usually we end up running so long and rambling on things. But
0: Oh, she had a hyena. That's fun.
2: Yeah, I felt like th- that was weird though. The sort of <laughs> the hyena in the situation where surely it's died. <laughs> surely yeah, it's been blown good, up. And then, oh, he survived. I did like that. I mean, they'd already done it in the trailer. But I did like the gag about her her naming it Bruce. Um, and the fact that she's got the little bruce do- the thing is she's got the bruce dog tag on before you get the joke about her having named the hyena bruce and yet i already knew the hyena was named bruce because i'd seen it in the trailer so <laughs> uh that was that was an odd bit of chronology um But yeah, that was quite fun. I have a feeling that I I feel that Harley and Hyenas is maybe something that's already been done in the comics. I
1: was going to ask about that. I have a vague memory because I've read a few Harley Quinn comics. I have a vague memory that in the one where she's living in Coney Island, she has Mm. a hyena as a pet. But I'm not 100% sure. It's a very, very like when I saw it, I was like, I'm pretty sure they've done that in the comics.
2: Yeah. I really like the running joke, uh, kind of a bit the joke's making reference to her pre Harley Quinn background. Both the line about yeah. I'm I'm not dumb, I've got a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then also the various moments where she's psychoanalysing people throughout yeah. the film. Yeah. Like again, we got one of them in the trailer, but the fact that it's not a one off, the fact that the fact that she does it to Black Mask, she does it to Huntress, it's just like she can't stop herself from kind of going, Yes, I've completely read you. Yeah. Um I really like that as so there was a nice reminder of something that i think gets really easily if you're doing this kind of ridiculous chaotic version of harley it would be really easy to fall into making her stupid and, mm-hmm. you, and you have to remember that she's not stupid and that's that was really nicely done
0: this falls into as much as this movie reminds me of kiss kiss bang bang it also does kind of remind me of like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with it, which it homages, mm. or, like, Legally Blonde, where they're sort of, like, mm. taking an archetype that, like you're saying, you think would just be stupid, and they're sort of looking at the intelligence of that character, and some of that mm. of Harley is her, you know, academic intelligence, but also, it's like the character always has this weird internal logic, even when
1: yeah, <laughs> what
0: she's doing doesn't seem to make sense, you always get the sense that she has some sort of i don't know logic to it i think it's just a very smart Mm. character type
2: i enjoyed the business card joke as well oh my Um. god i
0: loved that so much when she handed it over with dead seriousness of her just little scratches on it yeah this is such a funny movie i also am i'm optimistic that this movie will have a better box office going forward Maybe by the time this we put this podcast out, that will clearly not be the case and <laughs> whatever. But I don't know. Sometimes this happens. You know, it's rare, but it does happen that a movie doesn't open strong and goes on to, open, to, to be stronger in the end. So this could have the greatest showman arc.
1: As much as I would love to believe that, I sort of feel like the people who had the knives out for it early on are just mm. going to be setting the, the narrative of it already.
0: I don't know. I'm optimistic.
1: Like, I would love, I would love people to hear this and then be like... Oh, actually, let's go and see that, because apparently it's good. And it is good, but some very loud people already wanted it to fail, and I feel like that's going to...
2: It's Ghostbusters all over again, isn't it? Although it's a much better film than Ghostbusters.
1: Or it's The Greatest Showman. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope so. I hope you're right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, my feeling is more that the success story for this will be more on the home release because I yeah. do think it's a film that, like, people who enjoy it are going to really love it and sort of keep coming back to it. And I think it's a film that people will, when it's out on DVD and digital, people will, like, make their friends watch and that really? kind of thing. And I think, will, I think it will kind of hopefully spread in that sense. I, I hope it's not going to be, like, a forgotten one. I don't think it will be. I, 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 I mean, for all that we can kind of talk about whether or not the marketing is, And I think the marketing from the point of view, I'll say, I, I, I would agree with you. You know, I think the trailers, that that second trailer especially, sold what this film was going to be. I think it's just more, even not from the point of view of what the trailers were, but just general awareness. It seems to have really not got out there enough. Mm-hmm. But it baffles me that like a film led by Margot Robbie in in the position she is now in her career how has it not just had a bigger boost off the back of that it's yeah. it's bizarre given that it's her playing a character that she's so famous for playing already it's uh i i just i would have expected more from it purely based on its new margot robbie film
0: but. yeah it is baffling for sure but i don't know i don't know why i feel so optimistic about it but i really do I
2: think it's just that you just you want to believe. It's just at the end yeah. of the day, for for a film that's kind of you know that is quite violent and is about criminals and stuff, it's a really nice film. It's yeah. it's got a nice message and it's about it's about car As I say, it's about characters kind of actually doing good things for one another and supporting each other. It's got humour that's good natured in terms of like where mm-hmm. the jokes come from, and it's just yeah. So I mean, you know, I think I just think kind of from from the outset, I kind of sat down and sort of with the opening and with the way it kind of has that animated opening. Uh, where it kind of starts with the character. I, ju- I just felt so positively inclined towards it. As I say, you know, I've, I've just felt, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it just just felt nice. <laughs> really, I think we haven't, while we talked about Rosie Perez before, I don't think we commented on the joke about the bulletproof Harley costume, yeah. uh, which was a brilliant piece of using costume for a, for a comedy joke and that reveal.
1: <laughs> Actually, speaking of comedy that we haven't mentioned, uh renee's t-shirt yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the funniest like i've laughed i laughed so hard when that first showed up on the screen it's the incongruousness of her being like oh yeah you know i'll go and get some clothes and like coming up with that
2: yeah and then the fact that she ends up in it for so much, yeah, for so much. Yeah. she never cha- doesn't change out of it in the police station at any point
0: so. yeah i like a lot of dc's slate even the more you know the less than great movies, but I don't necessarily feel a huge desire to rewatch them. And I think this is a movie I would really, really enjoy rewatching mm. and get a lot more of each time I rewatch it. So yeah. I think that that it like packs a lot in, and I think it will re- be a movie that rewards multiple viewings. Mm.
1: There are definitely a lot of jokes that I've forgotten that I would like to
2: to rewatch it to mm-hmm. to catch again. Definitely, yeah um anything else on that then or have we extensively enough covered why this is i think we got it I a think massively we covered underrated it. film that more people should see
0: i think <laughs> i even talked myself into liking it even more over the course of the <laughs> podcast i have to say because i did have like some kind of substantial critiques at one point but now i'm like who cares it was just so fun
2: yeah but i, and I you know i think it does say a lot about a film that it can make you overlook kind of structural sort of if you're enjoying it so much that you don't stop to think about oh hang on that's that's a problem that doesn't make sense then that's a that's a really good sign you know you don't stop to think about why ace chemicals is full of fireworks (laughs) you know it's just it's a cool scene so i
1: I would say it's probably about as well written as as captain marvel i think better i enjoyed it more than captain marvel Mm, yeah but i think they're about equal in terms of the the raw craft of the writing.
2: Mm. Actually, Do you know what? Can I now that I've just because I've just mentioned that Ace Chemicals scene, right? I have an observation about that scene, which could be something. It's not not intentional in the slightest for what the film was trying to do, but I'm going to interpret it as the case anyway, right? That scene, you kind of you see the Ace Chemicals like building and stuff, and it's very the whole look of that scene, like it's at night and. that has got such a kind of the stereotypical gotham look to it the big kind of the big kind of towers the darkness the kind of greenness of the kind of filter it looks very like it looks like the kind of the arkham games particularly Mm -hmm. but also that kind of first phase of the dceu your kind of your batman v superman and your suicide squad everything being that kind of grim green darkness Then it gets blown up in a massive explosion, like colourful explosion of kind of fireworks (laughs) and colour. And then I'm pretty sure that probably until the very end sequence, the rest of the film I think takes place in daylight Mm. and the colour palette and the look of it and like, you know, Harley's costume and everything becomes so much more colourful. And I'm taking that scene as that's that's bright and colorful fun harley destroying the old DCEU and <laughs> and kind of setting the tone because it is because this is a film that kind of has this kind of bright colorful tone but that is existing in a world and a setting <laughs> that's the same been world, very very man, man of steel <laughs> yeah so uh i have no idea if that's intentional but i'm choosing to take that as a very symbolic moment yeah i like that and on that yeah i think we have just about covered that then um, james you don't have a game for us this time i'm sad to say i did not have time to come up with a game no that was partly because we had a bit of back and forth over the schedule and then kind of decided at the last minute to record this now uh so
0: it's a meta commentary on the harley quinn breaking out james's role as the harley quinn breaking out <laughs> of his shell on this podcast he's emancipating himself yeah.
2: so we, we won't get the chance to introduce uh, uh caroline to any more kind of british comedy or light entertainment figures <laughs> except for the fact that you will have this will have gone over your head but i referenced jim davidson at yeah the start i did of know the episode. I, I quietly <laughs> was...
0: googled him while you were <laughs> continuing to talk so you got the idea
2: i got it <laughs> dreadful dreadful man <laughs> okay well that was birds of prey i'd say I, I think the the word from us is is pretty unanimous if you if you've listened to all of this and had the film ruined for you even though as i say there aren't really any major spoilers go and see it because it's really good fun and it'd be really nice to see it do well uh, if nothing else just to piss off dickheads on the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more Cinematic Universe and subscribe to us on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, or any other podcast app of choice. You can find a full searchable index of every episode at cinematicuniverse.com, along with all of the subscription feed links and a big archive of features and reviews. You can buy our merchandise at cinematicu.redbubble.com. Get in touch with us on Facebook, on Twitter at verse or with an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hear a bonus short episode with me and James talking about something comic specific in relation to this episode and you'll hear each of those exclusively from now on along with ad free and sometimes early access to the episodes themselves thank you to Brendan Roberts for being a top regular backer and a special word for a new backer this month who asked that instead of shouting out to their name we mentioned their friend Jeff Lee who introduced them to the podcast in the first place and who sadly passed away at the age of 38 we're told he was an amazing kind and funny man who loved his comic books and movies and from the sound of it he also had great taste in podcasts. Podcasts. Um, so our thoughts are with Jeff's family and friends, and thank you to the guys from the Do Dads podcast for bringing him to our attention. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
1: Goodbye.
0: Bye.